The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. And on this Independence Weekend, we thank you that we can gather here freely uh, and that we uh, are founded in a place that is, uh, we're living in a place that's founded on on, uh, the principle that we can worship uh, freely. And so we thank you, Lord, uh, that we are here, that we are gathered. We thank you. I thank you for this robust fellowship of of believers and uh, for the hands that prepared that wonderful food. And we ask, God, that you would bless now the the reading and the teaching of your word, that your people will continue to confess that you are the Christ and live accordingly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have been aiming and aiming and aiming for only only 10 months uh, towards really this passage. What we have said all along is that Matthew is building the case uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that case culminates in Peter's confession. Uh, Jesus has been crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee, he's been healing, he's been exercising demons, he's been teaching, um, and uh, but most recently we saw that he was in a sort of slight confrontation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now the way that Matthew brings uh, those two so closely together, it's easy to assume that they're one group or they have the same issue. But it would be like saying that Jesus... Uh, what had a slight confrontation with the Republicans and the Democrats. Um, it's, it's, it's really what it would... would it, it, that's just to give you sort of a, a picture of that. And if you remember from last week, just the beginning of, of Matthew chapter 16, uh, they had demanded a sign as if we hadn't spent the last year and a half giving signs and, and things of, of that nature different, different ways. And, and remember, he had... Uh, walked on water, he fed the 5,000, now he's just fed 4,000, and, um, and all sorts of things. And so Jesus says, you know, you, read the, you can read the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. And no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And remember the sign of Jonah was, Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, down in the pit, came up into life. And, um, and that was a, a foreshadowing, sort of a gross foreshadowing. Of the, um, of the death and resurrection of Jesus. They wanted Jesus to prove himself. In fact, they wanted him to prove himself again and again because it was just hard to believe. Because he looked like any one of us, right? He just looked like a human being walking around. He didn't have any particular glow. He had body odor and, you know, just like the rest of us, he just, you know, had to eat and, and, and everything else. And so um, it was just very hard to believe. That this regular guy, he wasn't didn't wasn't grow up in the palace. He grew up in a carpenter shop, which was actually a cave. Like if you've been there, like he lived in the, he grew up in a cave. I mean, everybody lived in caves in, in that region. Um, that's how that was. just actually really cool. Um, but it, they just uh, can you think of the work it would take to just hollow out your house out of the limestone? You know, if you want to add on an addition, like get your get your chisel. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and so, uh, and and so, they wanted a sign again and again and again. And uh, and so he says, "I'm not giving you a sign." And he gets in the boat, and uh, he and his disciples leave. And so that's where we pick up, and we are. Uh, what what is interesting is we have this little paragraph before Jesus's 
uh, before Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to talk a lot about Peter's confession. But what I want you to wonder about is why would Matthew put this here? Now, this seems like if he's been making the case and making the case and making it right before he gets to the denouement, this seems like a sort of a funny way to get there. Like a funny, like it's, it's just, it just seems a little anticlimactic right before the. It just, so why? Why has Matthew felt like this was so important that right before everything he's been working towards for the last 16 chapters, is this the paragraph that Jesus wants to include? So they got the boat, so they've left. If I can show you. probably hard to see if you're way far away, but um, so it left the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and it looks like, it says they crossed, but they didn't cross directly, they probably just came up to the mouth of the Jordan, right up, right up north, so they got in, crossed over, kind of up, and the reason I think that is because they go to um, Caesarea Philippi, which is up way up here in the north, so that's what that, that's like. And it seems like just they're just getting out of the boat. Disciples reach the other side. They've forgotten to bring any bread. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, no altar gift. No altar gift. I mean, that's right. Mary, Mary, Mary Magdalene. She was uh, off doing something else, I guess. I mean, not not too not too long ago. I was uh, I I walked out the door, door with. Uh, supposed to take the dog food uh, with the dog and then just walk right out the door without it, right? So, um, ask, ask Joyce and Larry. All right. Um, the, um, when the disciples reached the other side, they'd forgotten to bring any bread. And I just think it's so funny that Matthew includes that because Matthew was one of the disciples, right? And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, oh, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? <laughs> how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about the bread? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, they forget bread. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation uh, where one of you is thinking about something else and just kind of thinks out loud, but the other one is thinking about something so totally different, but you, the, you, what you hear the other person say has... You think it has to do with what you're thinking of, and you're talking for a while, and you realize y'all aren't talking about the same thing at all. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's happening. <laughs> it's called marriage. Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yes, it is. So, um, uh, so that's what's going on. So Jesus is still thinking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're demanding a sign, and he just says, "Y'all, watch out." For the leaven of the Pharisees. And they think, leaven? 
I'm hungry. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, and, and then, and, he, and it's like they think, it says he, they understand he didn't tell them to wear the leaven of bread. As if he's like, you know, y'all, gluten is really bad for you. And um, it causes all sorts of inflammation in your, in your arteries. Um, the, um, and, and, and so they're worried about bread. And Jesus says, you have little faith. Don't you remember? Like, bread is not an issue, right? I mean, I, I can make bread. Um, I'm talking about something much more uh, important and, and um, precarious, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were the conservatives, and they were the ones who were concerned with uh, just ultimately with moral, I mean, both were concerned with moral behavior, but they were um, just concerned with moral behavior through strict adherence to the law. And they, understood, they believed in angels, they believed in the coming resurrection, they believed in the power of God for the miraculous which is part of why they wanted to see Jesus do the miraculous again and again because to, to prove himself. The Sadducees were what we would call more liberal or uh, maybe more humanist. Um, probably not liberal in the sense that we think of liberal, but, but um, they had this sort of watchmaker view of God. You know what I mean by that? Where there's the view of God that says, like, you, like if you make a watch and then you wind it up and let it run, and it just runs how it runs, and he's kind of done with it. Um, that's that's um, that God made made the earth. It was His doing. He set things in order and set things in motion. Now, good luck. You know, it's kind of that's the sort of watchmaker view, uh, as it's sometimes called. And that's sort of what the Sadducees had. They wanted people to be nice, uh, but they did not believe really in the supernatural. They did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't really believe in angels. They did believe that there was a God, but it, it was our responsibility just to be good citizens. So my question, it says, they understood that he was, um, he did not tell them to beware the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is the teaching that Jesus is so concerned about? Because it seems to me like if you, these Pharisees want you to follow the Bible, the Sadducees want you to be really good people, like what's so wrong with that? That Jesus would say, "Beware." It leaves out God and faith. What do you mean by that, Jesus? It was God's law that they were saying to follow. They added to it, right? But it was more than just the Ten Commandments, the relational law. It was all of these other hundreds of yeah, the hundreds and hundreds of nitpicky things, all of which had interpretation and interpretive uh, aspects to it, like like where Jesus indicts the Pharisees and says, you know, you're, you're telling people that um, you're, you can give to the church instead of uh, honoring your father. You know, like that's not, that's the tradition of man. So, so they all have interpretive value anyway or interpretive aspects of it. Uh, but yes, there were 600 some laws uh, in, in Scripture. Josh, were you going to say something? I think, you know, to go back to your earlier point of why does he put it here, you know, the the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees is going to become that the Christ hasn't come, the Messiah has not come, and he's about to hit you with 100% definitely he is the Messiah, and so kind of like leading up to, hey, they're going to be telling you the opposite of what is about to be covered in the next verse. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. So if you couldn't hear Josh, he said um, that, that 
the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees would both be that, that Christ has not come yet. And so, you know, we're just about to hear that uh, the Christ has come. And so, beware the teaching of the Pharisees. That's really, actually, that's not what I was going to say, and that's a really good uh, point that we would hold up against, not against, but uh, next to and with what, I, what I'm getting ready to say. That's good. Now, sometimes when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, and so I may be uh, biased and predisposed to say this, but I think I feel like what he's talking about is earning salvation. That, that uh, you're working your way uh, towards God. Uh, in the miracle feedings, the 4,000 and the 5,000, Jesus takes what we have to offer and he makes it more than enough. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees take what we have to offer and they demand more. That's what the law does. Right? So... Uh, in, in fact, this is true in all spiritual areas of our life. When your boss uh, comes in and tells you uh, that you didn't make your numbers, like you don't get to say, well, Jesus makes it more than enough, right? That's not one of the spiritual uh, areas of your life. Like you've got to make the numbers, right? But in terms of like our goodness and what we have to offer, our righteousness, our, our, our forgiveness, our, um, our repentance, um, that, that, you know, all those things are going to fall short. Um, you know, like, I want to be a really good husband, but there's times I'm not. I want to be a really good dad, but there's times I'm not. And Jesus is going to take that somehow, and He's going to work it so that it's more than enough. Um, which doesn't mean I don't need to put in effort in those things, by the way. But for our ministries and all we do for the Lord, for our families and all we do unto the Lord, uh, Jesus takes it and He fills in our lack, and that is called grace. Right? That is, well, it's not the only thing that's called grace, but that's, that's, that's grace. And Jesus makes it more than enough. But the law demands, the law insists on perfection, not in a way that's angry, uh, but in a way that's subjective. It's like a pole vault. You guys see that the guy just broke the outdoor record for pole vaulting? It's, it was amazing. He could, he could have cleared like another 18 inches. It was amazing to watch. But uh, if I tried that, I, I probably wouldn't have gotten quite that high. Um, and, um, and, and and it's it's you know there's some people that can clear the clear the bar and they they cheer and everybody looks at them and and so they they're put on a pedestal but but most people can't clear the bar it, it's the law isn't an angry judge it's just an objective judge you know it's it's like has the blindfold that's why the justice has blind the blindfold because it should be blind justice um, it's it um, and it's so so think about the summary of the law. You know what I mean by the summary of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that sounds like really a really wonderful thing. And it is great advice. It's not good news, though, is it? It's actually the summary of everything you're supposed to do. And if you were to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, think about all the things in your heart that compete for that love. When I'm to love my neighbor, and we, we understand that our neighbor is not just the person who lives next door, but my family and, and my enemies and, and, and every, everybody I come into contact with, that I'm supposed to love them uh, as I love myself. And we think, well, that's not just affection, but think of all the bias that I give to myself. Think of all the things I do to, um, to serve myself. Think of the ways that I uh, protect myself. And, and all of that is, I think, wrapped into what Jesus is saying, is that we are to... Um, or St. Paul says, uh, consider others better than yourself. Um, consider others before you consider yourself. And, you know, C.S. Lewis, which is obviously not scripture, but it says, um, humility is not to think 
uh, of your, less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. It's just this, uh, loving others with uh, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving, our, uh, loving others with, uh, as to the same degree that we protect ourselves, we're biased towards ourselves. And we fall short. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bar that we're not going to clear. And, and typically, and I love, it, 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 this is just a, a, a sort of modernist interpretation of, of, of this conundrum where Jesus says, the leaven, but the law gets into everything, and we're always constantly offering judgments or um, uh, 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 caveats or, or, um, or things that we have to, uh, bars we have to clear. And conservatives typically say, you have to act this way. You have to you know, do this, be this way, act this way, believe this thing. Um, and liberals, at least in our culture, t- tend to say that you have to uh, love people and that you have to um, uh, include everyone and let bygones be bygones, let people be people. And of course, those are wildly simplistic views of uh, conservatism and liberalism. Um, but ultimately, there is a sort of mandate on both sides of it that you have to be or act this way in order to sort of be in or included. What I want to say is that Jesus has not come, uh, what Jesus has has come to bring is not on the spectrum. It is, uh, Jesus is not a a moderate between liberals and conservatives. Jesus is not on the spectrum. Uh, Jesus, the gospel is completely other, right? It's uh, every religion, uh, whether it's Christianity or Judaism or uh, Islam or Hindu or or, in, or even often atheism uh, in some sense says in some way act this way to achieve this maybe it's heaven maybe it's acceptance maybe it's nirvana whatever it is act this way in Christianity alone Jesus alone says here's what has been done for you and so the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees I think is and again I'm biased. Uh, and, and I'm open to other things, and I want to hold it up against uh, 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 alongside what Josh just said. Um, but it's um, it is the idea that uh, yes, Jesus has uh, died for our sins, but we need to do this. We need to be this way. We need to demand this of ourselves uh, or of others. And what we are called to is grace, which is not to say license. You know what I mean by that? Which is not to say everything goes. But to say the fact that lines are crossed all the time, we're still going to love people. So is it a good thing to love and include your people? Absolutely it is. Is it a good way to be morally uh, strict? Of course it is. Does it have to be both? Yeah, one or the other? I don't think so. But does it earn us salvation then? And so in the face of what Jesus is saying, beware this tendency to say it has to be this way. Then he comes to Caesarea Philippi with the disciples. Caesarea Philippi is way north. Uh, it takes about an hour, hour and a half to drive there. It's in the foothills of Mount Hermon, which is a, um, where they have ski resorts. It's a snow-capped mountain. Uh, and it's kind of weird. Uh, you know, just an hour and a half south is the desert, and an hour and a half north is is this, you know, snow-capped mountain. It's pretty, pretty strange. Um, high, big mountain. And this is the foothills. And, and uh, right now uh, it's called Benias. And that's because uh, many, many um, places, uh, many, many cultures have come to this place to worship their um, gods. And one of the gods principally that was worshipped there is Pan. 
So you hear Banias, Pan, um, the little goat, goaty, goat-footed god, right? And they would, uh, they would do all sorts of crazy things uh, and throw the goats into the spring in order to wake Pan up and to receive uh, the blessing of fertility and, and, and all sorts of other things. And so, um, but that spring would trickle down out of the, that cave, uh, and Benias, it's like this sheer cliff with this clay cave in it, and, um, and then it, was, uh, it would trickle down and, and meet up with some other creeks, and that would become the Jordan River. It was the very head, headwaters of, of the Jordan. So ancient people worshipped Pan there, and then uh, Rome took over, and that became one of the places where you came to worship Caesar. So they renamed it Caesarea. Caesarea Philippi, after um, Herod Philip built it for Caesar. So, um, so they come to Caesarea Philippi, and, and it's out of the Jewish district. It is uh, a place of pagan worship. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. That tends to be Episcopalian's favorite verse on evangelism. It says it right there, Father. Right there. Don't tell anybody. So Matthew has made no secret of what he thinks, has he? Like all along, we know where he's headed. Uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. He is the miracle child. He is the Son of God. He is the new Moses. He is the new Israel. He is the one for whom John the Baptist was preparing the way. He is the most incredible teacher there's ever been. He defies the demonic. He defies the laws of gravity uh, on the water. He is, uh, he is, in short, the Messiah. And the reader knows this, or at least the reader knows that Matthew believes this. It's not a secret to us. But in a sense, we're also following for ourselves the course of the disciples. Because if you look at your own life, you understand that there is a, uh, there is a learning there's a dawning of understanding. Um, and I would say, I mean, I, I, for me, I became a Christian, but I didn't realize who Jesus was until well after that. I mean, I sort of accepted Christ, and what I, I for me, it was like uh, a box to be checked at first. It was an important box, but it, there was just a lot of growth and understanding and naivety and um, maturing that had to happen, and, uh, and now I'm all the way there. Um, no, no, I'm not. Um, uh, it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. And so we see there is, uh, there is a sense in, uh, in which we are with the disciples in this, we're following Jesus, but, but we still don't understand. And, uh, and we gradually learn and gradually learn. 
And there may become a point in your life, and I think there is probably that for all of us who are following Christ, that all of a sudden it really dawns what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, he's not just our Savior, He's our Lord. And the implications of His Lordship. Uh, and that's really important. And really wonderful. Um, so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So Caesarea Philippi is a place of false gods. A place of, of worship. And, um, and he is... And it is such an interesting thing that he is taking the disciples there. Probably, I mean, so it's an hour and a half drives, easily a, a full day's walk um, up there. And um, and they, you know, so let's say they camp out, they get there, and they come in in, in the morning. And, and in the in the face of the cliff, uh, there are these niches where that you can see where the the different statues of, of gods have been. You know where you are today. Still, is a sacred place. What was the, the it wasn't the Moors. It was something. There was a, a name of the another religion that's still a whole, kind of a holy place for them. I can't remember what it was. But Dr the Druze, Druze. Druze. not Druids, but the Druze. And I'm still not really clear what that is. But it's a um, but it, so it's, it's this, um, these, these niches where the statues were, and there's these ruins where, the, where you would go into the, um, the rooms to, to worship the, to, and light incense to Caesar's statue and, and such. And, and not just by the face of the cliff, but all sort of along back towards the parking lot. There's all these different uh, things. And you kind of like, you're like, ah, another ruin. You know, like, but it's... Uh, um, and, and, and it's amazing that Jesus takes them there. And so in, in the face of all these idols and all these false gods and all these different ideas of what it is to worship and who God is and what we're made for, that's where Jesus says, so what are people saying about me? When, you hear, when you're just out buying bread, knuckleheads, um, <laughs> What do you hear in the market? Who do people say that I am? And they tell him. They say, well, I mean, you know, some are, are saying that, um, that you're John the Baptist. That, and that's, you know, remember Herod said that. Um, back from the dead. Others say that you're Elijah. Now that's, um, if you remember Malachi... We talked about this with John the Baptist, that, that Malachi says that before the Christ comes, that Elijah will return. And, or, and someone in the spirit of Elijah will come. and Because and, uh, Elijah is really sort of the, the chief, not, not he's sort of a, a, pop, a prophet par excellence. And, um, and so people say that you're the, four, the forerunners. Others say that you're just a, um, uh, that you're, you're a prophet like other prophets. I mean, nobody denies that there's something pretty special going on with you, Jesus. But, but, um, but a lot of, you know, all these guys were, were guys that had some, an important ministry that are, are dead now. And we're not really sure how they're relevant to us today. And so, a lot of, that's kind of what people are saying, Jesus. That, that people are saying that you are, there's something really special going on with you. We're just not really sure how it fits with our life. And Jesus says, okay. In the face of all these other gods, 
in this setting. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And that's where impetuous, precocious, um, speak first, think later, Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus just about flips. And He just, I mean, He just backflips. You know, He just says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. I mean, there's this incredible blessing. You didn't hear this from anybody else. I never said, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Nobody told you this. You, God told you this. The Father told you this. By the Holy Spirit, of course. And I'm going to tell you, Peter, you're the rock. That's what Peter means, right? The word means rock. And you're, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, of course, we understand that uh, those uh, of the Catholic faith would say that that means um, that Peter was the first bishop. And on that, and what I would say, I mean, I, 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 there's, there's good grammatical evidence to understand that they mean, that Jesus means Peter himself. But I would say, and I mean, I just have to say, I think it's, I think it's the confession of Peter. That is Peter's, it, the confession, you are the Christ. On that rock, I will build my church. Those who confess my name. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the gates don't move. Gates aren't uh, offensive, they're defensive, right? And we're storming the gates, Peter, with that confession. And they're not going to win. Because I'm building my church. I'm building. I'm progressing my church, on that confession. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You've probably seen like a stained glass window or something with Jesus handing, or a, you know, a, a classical Renaissance painting of Jesus handing uh, Peter the two golden keys, right? He didn't hand him any keys. This is confession. You confess that, you have, that I'm the Christ, you're in, buddy. That's, he did not give him keys to pearly gates. Now, it's a wonderful metaphor, and it's a great thing to paint, uh, as actual, but it's of course metaphorical. Your confession gives you access to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And I gotta tell you, I'm not real sure about that. I wish I had something really profound to say, and some of you may have, but I, um, I think that has, the way I understand that is that there is pastoral authority. Um, and that Peter would be, Peter and the disciples would be, um, have that pastoral authority that Jesus was, and, and of course as, as an Anglican, uh, we believe in uh, apostolic succession. And so uh, our bishop, our bishop stands in the line, somebody, whoever laid hands on him, had people lay their hands on him, had people lay hands on him, all the way back to the apostles. And so, um, and so there is, uh, but, but there's, it's not, it's not that, you know, whatever I say goes. That's not what I mean by pastoral authority. I'm still figuring that out, I have to tell you. So I, I will, um, I, I want to, I've done a lot of talking. Um, how do you understand how important this verse is for you? I like that you said that his profession is what, the church is built on, not the man himself. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I just have a question. Um, Jesus said, 
And on this rock, which is his profession, I will build my church. Was yep. there another word back then that Church. Well, the word in Greek is ecclesia, which means a um, like a, just a gathering. But the root of the word is called out. So it's a, it's a gathering of people being called out or called together. And so it's uh, uh, it's it, it they wouldn't have had in their brains church as we understand church, but it was a community of disciples. Yeah. So. Yes, Katie. I think it's kind of like you were expressing your own uh, experience about faith. You know, the So in my previous two churches, I led backpacking trips for men. They were a little closer to the mountains. So we, we would do four-day backpacking trips. And part of that, um, it was a great men's ministry because men don't do great looking eyeball to eyeball. Uh, but if I can tell my story to someone's backpack as they're walking down the road, um, like I can I can go all day with that, right? But um, as soon as they turn around, like... Um, and so... Uh, and so part of part of the uh, backpacking ministry was that I would hand out verses, print them out, laminate them, and um, and I, I I was the leader of the group. I picked out the the verses and I would uh, shuffle them all up and and uh, and hold them upside down. And I would say, you can't pick the wrong one. Uh, like God has a verse, He has a word. It was amazing. Like just guys would pick these verses and and it would just it would just melt them. And and so I picked. I don't, know if, I don't know which, uh, I think it was Mark, actually, but it was, it's the same story. And, you know, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And, you know, I just imagine when I pick that out, I just, this, you know, this baby believer, you know, who's coming in and who's going to have, um, uh, who, who is just going to be put to the point, you know, who do you say that I am? And he's going to give his life to Christ right there and, and it's going to, you know, I'm going to baptize him in the mountain creek and it's going to be awesome. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm telling this guy, you can't pick the wrong one. And I pick that verse. Who do you say that I am? And I was like, dang, I got the wrong verse. <laughs> Leading up to that same trip, I was, um, I, I was going through a period of just extraordinary anxiety. Um, I think that was the point where we were uh, buying a house and it was going to put us, uh, in, I needed to do it and it was the right move, but it was putting us in a big hole. And, um, and then there was a couple of guys going on this trip that I was real nervous about for different reasons and some other things going on in the church or the diocese or something. And I just... I would be driving around and I would just have these involuntary sighs, just, just, 
And I was just, just like I was carrying the weight of the world. And this, you've gotten to know me over the last seven years, like you know, I'm not, I have a tendency to that. But it's, um, I just had this incredible anxiety. And I got this verse, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just say a prayer and move on. And I'll just, you know, maybe I can, I'll, I'll stay at the back of my, maybe I'll pick another verse or something like that. You know, and I wasn't 50 yards down the trail where I had to hit my knees because I realized, like, who do you say that I am? Who does this anxiety and this worry and this lack of faith say that I am? Do you saying that I'm just some dead guy from the past that had something important to say back then, but you're not really sure what it has to do with you now? And I realized on that trail that I didn't know. I mean, I could profess it, but I didn't know it that Jesus was the Christ or I had forgotten it, or I wasn't living into it, however you want to say that, but it's a daily decision. And it's something that we answer daily. Now, I'm not talking about clinical anxiety, that we, but I am talking about how daily we bring our burdens before the Lord and say, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. You are the one who can handle this. You're the one who says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light, and I don't have to carry it. And I gotta handle it. I gotta handle my business, but I don't have to be defined by it. I don't have to be. Um, I don't have to worry because the results are gonna be in your hands. And so I just want to say to you that this is a, a question that we answer daily. Uh, who do you say that I am today? With all you got going on, with all you're frustrated about. With all the, the way that the world is, and I've got to come. I'm just thankful that I get to teach on this right now because I got I got things I got to answer. This you know, same question again. Sorry, Lord, I forgot again. I forgot again. You are the Christ. I am not. I'm not the Savior. I don't need to try to save. I need to. I need to act faithfully. But you're the Christ. You're the Son of the Living God, and the burden is on you. And so I just want to encourage you. That in the face of our false gods, I mean, a false god is, is we might think it's something bad, you know, a false god is a bad thing. A false god usually is something really good. It's just not ultimate. Like your family and what they think of you is really, that's an important thing. It's not ultimate. Your family and their success is a really important thing. It's not ultimate. It doesn't define who you are. Um, your bank account. That's important. Your, um, your vocational life, the accolades you get, how much you give, how much you get, all these things are important things, and we are great at making them into God's ultimate thing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals anything. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Carry that with you this week. Zip it up. Right Amen. 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 Alright, so let me tell you about next week real quick. Um, so this is going to be the last uh, Matthew for just a little while. Next week, I'm going to, uh, we'll have in here, and I hope you will come. This is going to be really exciting. There's a, um, there's a program with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office called One Cop, and it stands for One Congregation, One Precinct. And we've been assigned an officer, Officer Whitrock, and she will be with us next week to talk about 
Mandarin and our community and what's going on and what are things, how can we support her and, and police officers. It's just a, it was sort of born out of the tensions of a couple of years ago and it's taken a while to get going for whatever reason, like a lot of things do. But um, so I'll be uh, teach, um, uh, interviewing her and we'll be learning her and she, I want her to get to know you and her, uh, you to get to know her. And then, um, and then I'll be gone for a couple weeks and Beth is teaching. Um, and then um, we'll pick back up in Matthew in August. So that, that'll be good. But, um, but so it looks like you like the schedule. Um, so, so, okay, we'll stick with that for, for the foreseeable future. God bless you. And if you hadn't gone to church yet, go to church. Um, since we're not going to be having Riverbank, do you want your podium? Yeah. That's a good question. Yes, I think so. I would like that. Okay. Um, and just a, an observation.